0: Guys, friends, would you look in your Bible at 2 Samuel chapter 7? I'm going to make the point today that I think this is one of the most important chapters in our Old Testaments. You've heard the bulk of it, so I'm just going to read verse 16. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. This is the promise for everyone who is in Christ Jesus. And your house... And your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are king of a kingdom. This isn't a volunteer religion that we dabble in. This is a kingdom that we become citizens to and bend the knee to you as Lord and Savior. Clear that up in our mind. Let us know that you reign and reign supreme and of your kingdom and your counsel and your wisdom and your glory and your authority, there is no end. Praise you for that in Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, we've been skipping through our Old Testaments. We land in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and we got to get our bearings here. What's happened in the life of David? David has been anointed king. He's united the kingdom after Saul. He's had a string of victories. God has given him a ton of success. He has made his capital in Jerusalem. They've conquered Jerusalem. And then he built for himself a palace there made of cedar where he dwells when we find him in Second Samuel chapter 7. While he's sitting there, he has a thought, and it seems like a generous thought, and it comes to him in verse 2, and that is, why am I living in this extremely comfortable palace made of cedar and all of this beautiful stuff around me, while God is still dwelling in the tabernacle? So that tent tabernacle that was put together in the Sinai wilderness 400 years ago, that has come all the way into Canaan. That was parked at Shiloh last week. Now we've moved it to Jerusalem, but it's embarrassing for David that he's in a palace and God is in a tabernacle tent. And David's thinking it's time to build God a temple. And wouldn't that be sweet for me to do and give him a nice place to stretch his legs. And God very sweetly visits David And reminds him who builds whom a house. Verse 11. No way, David. The Lord will make you a house. You don't make me a house. I make you a house. You don't build for me. I build for you. And that's a good gospel gut check right out of the gate. God does the building, we do the inhabiting. We don't come into God's kingdom on the basis of all the good works we hope to do for God very soon. Our salvation is not a New Year's resolution. The bridge from sinful humanity to the Holy Trinity, it is not slapped together with our best intentions. Salvation is a gift from God to us for our benefit in Him. To paraphrase Steve FM, for about the price of a cup of coffee, you can have free entrance into the kingdom of heaven and a cup of coffee it's a gift it is given to you and you open up your arms and you receive it and praise God this is so he does the building we do the inhabiting his salvation is the house that he builds for us forever but we're getting way ahead of ourselves so far I realize what I'm about to say next is highly controversial. I know that people have fought over things less important than this. I think two of the most important chapters in our Old Testament, and I'm talking there are 929 chapters in the Old Testament. Nobody is allowed to pick Genesis 1 through 3. Everybody knows that's foundational, okay? So you can't pick that. You've got to pick two other chapters And I'm going to say Genesis chapter 12 and the promise to Abraham and 2 Samuel chapter 7, this promise to David to fulfill that, are the two most important Old Testament chapters. I realize some of you are going to leave the church over that. You're going to go up the road to some milky, emergent Psalm 23 church. That's okay. I've counted the costs. I said what I said. Genesis 12, 2 Samuel chapter 7 are going to tie this wily, centuries-in-the-making Old Testament story together with our New Testament. You miss the connection between Abraham and David and King Jesus, and you have missed the blessed tie that binds the Testaments. No wonder the very first verse in the New Testament, Matthew chapter one, verse one, reads the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. No wonder Abraham and David go on to become the number two and number three most referenced Old Testament characters in the New Testament. Jesus David, Abraham, Abraham, David, Jesus. When Jesus appears to us in his incarnation, he doesn't become whatever we fancy him to be and solve whatever we fancy him to solve. He steps right in the middle of a story that has been told since Genesis and he will fulfill it. So very briefly, we're going to see that the forever kingdom in our passage was previewed in Abraham, it was promised in David, and it is fulfilled in Jesus. Preview in Abraham, promised in David, and it's going to be ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Let's talk about Abraham. The promise to David actually sounds a lot like the promise that landed on Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12 because God promises to bless both of them and to make their names great, which he does. So Genesis chapter 12, verses two and three, and I will make of you, this is to Abraham, a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now back when we were in Genesis chapter 12, we said that this is so important. It it gives us a heads up, it clues us in that God's salvation is not coming through a religion as we think of it today, but through a nation and the kingdom. It's not a religion that you come and sample for a spiritual pick-me-up. It's a nation and a kingdom that is going to spread through the cosmos. This is gonna help us understand our Old Testaments because if you knew anything about Christianity, knew about Jesus and you started reading your Bible and you read in Genesis chapter 12 that God was gonna bless Abraham and bless all the nations through Abraham and he's gonna do that first by giving Abraham a baby, you might, if you had no exposure to the Bible, think this is great, Abraham and Sarah, they're gonna have a healthy baby boy and his name is going to be Jesus and he is going to kick off Christianity. And if you thought that, you would be sorely disappointed. We're not looking for that religion. We're looking for a kingdom coming. It's going to be slow. It's going to be built through broken people. But it will begin to form. And if you're going to have a nation, and if it's going to come from Abraham, you're going to need at least four things. You're going to need a population you don't have that. You're going to need laws. You're going to need land. You're going to need a king. All of those things must come together if you're going to have a nation. And that's exactly how the story is told from Genesis 12 up to Second Samuel chapter 7. You need a population Well, Abraham has Isaac, who has Jacob, who has 12 sons that become the 12 tribes of Israel that grow into a huge population living enslaved in the land of Egypt. You have a population all of a sudden. And then God leads the people out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery under Moses, and he gives them his laws at Sinai, the Ten Commandments, and his moral and civil and ceremonial laws. And then God leads the people up to the borders of Canaan and through Joshua, he conquers the land of Canaan so that all of a sudden they have a land and they settle in that land. And then this population with laws and land finally get a king because God anoints Saul and then rejects Saul and anoints David and David becomes the king of this kingdom. All of this means we don't have the religion of Israel We have the kingdom of Israel, and that's important for two reasons, because the kingdom of Israel was meant to be a blessing and to bring a blessing. Like just by its existence as a kingdom, one nation under God who is in heaven, the nation of Israel is a blessing to everybody watching, because no matter who you were, Philistine, Egyptian, Hittite, Canaanite, you could watch a nation under one true God, know something of him and trust in him, and that was a blessing to the world. They were to be a blessing, but then they also brought a blessing because it's through the nation of Israel that the Messiah Jesus will be born. All of that, the seeds of all of that are in Genesis chapter 12. Don't you see why I think Genesis chapter 12 is such a big freaking deal? I mean, it's got that whole thing right there and then becomes fulfilled all the way up until 2 Samuel 7. What was previewed back then is now promised to David in our chapter. Now, Abraham, when he heard these promises, it must have sounded crazy to him a nation, uh, children that number the stars in the heavens, a blessing to the world because it was just him and Sarah, and Sarah was barren and they had no children. That must have sounded crazy. But this promise also sounded crazy to David, even though he was already king of this existing kingdom, because the promises God makes to David are absolutely supernatural you got some prophecy going on here. And a lot of times in the Old Testament, in prophecy works with two lenses. It's a promise for here and now, what's going to happen to David's kingdom, but it's also a nod to what is happening in God's heavenly kingdom. So both of those are in play. And as David hears this, this must have sounded crazy to him. There are these beautiful heavenly nods in our passage that are true for every believer in Christ who is a citizen of this eternal kingdom founded in Jesus. Verse 10, it says, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. Now that's a little truth about David's dynasty, but that's a big truth about God's dynasty, the gospel. Friends, can you imagine? Can you even imagine the possibility of being planted and being disturbed no more? Having a forever home. My wife and I, and a few families in this church, are interacting with DSS and going through the process of fostering and possibly adopting. And we went to the first uh, seminar on that and heard. Just these heartbreaking stories of kids born in our city who don't have that. They don't have a home and they bounce from foster home to foster home, sometimes end up in a group home or an orphanage. And all they want is a place to belong, a home to be a part of, a name to be placed on them, to, to know where they fit in this world. That's all they want. That's actually true of every single one of us. We wander. We run. We don't know our identity. We don't know who we are. We don't know where we belong. And we chase things that just don't satisfy us. And this gospel promise comes to us and says, this is your home. This is where you will be planted. And this is where you will be disturbed no more. Check out verse 11. He says, I will give you rest from your enemies. That's a little promise to David. That's a big promise to us. I said it last week and I'll say it again. The devil rages. Do you understand that the devil hates you? He hates you. And he hates your marriage, and he hates your kids, and he hates your friendships, and he hates your church and he hates your leaders, the devil hates you, and the devil always fights dirty. No rules. He fights in the dark. He uses things that embarrass us. He finds the weakest in our herd, and he picks them off and separates us one by one so that he can fight us alone in the dark. And most of us, even if we are born again, would rather carry bitter, debilitating shame to the grave than be exposed as a sinner. He knows that, and he loves that. That works well for him. Most of us will rather limp in the dark with our addictions and our vices and our comforts and will never get help. And Satan has a field day. We sing a hymn here every once in a while that just is hard for me to sing and it's hard for me to understand and it goes by so quickly. There is a fountain filled with blood. And you got that third stanza that I'm sure has struck you before. Till all the ransomed ones of God be saved to sin no more. I don't even know what that means to be saved to sin no more. Sin is such an intimate integral part of everything that I am and everything that I do. I can't even imagine myself apart from sin. And so then we say this line, be saved to sin no more. And then you got to repeat it like 12 more times. And I'm still thinking about the first time, would it be possible to wake up in the morning and not to lust, not to desire, not to envy, not to be consumed with bitterness, not to slander, not to hate others, not to hate myself, not to long for what I don't have I cannot even imagine that and God says to you if you are part of this kingdom you will be saved to sin no more it's okay if you don't get it it's okay if you don't believe it that's true That is more sure than the sun that will rise tomorrow. That is more sure than the ground beneath your feet. It is this kingdom that vanquishes all our enemies. And then he closes with this in verse 16. And all this, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, he's talking to David, but really he's talking about David's son, Solomon. But really he's talking about David's great son, Jesus. And God does this really annoying thing in the Bible that all of our moms do with us. And that is if he catches wind that we're not paying attention to what he's saying, he just keeps repeating himself. And so the word forever is... Happens two times in this verse, and then it happens seven times in 2 Samuel chapter 7 because we're not paying attention, and he wants us to understand what I am talking about here is forever. The kingdom, the king, this salvation. This covenant love, my steadfast faithfulness to you, it is forever, 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 forever. Seven forevers, the number of perfection, it's going to go on for eternity. This kingdom is forever. Now, no sooner do you have this massive gospel promise dropped on you than you become disappointed with the people called to carry it out. This is previewed in Abraham as promised in David, but david doesn't last forever. He dies, and his son takes the throne and then solomon's son has the kingdom divided, and then Eventually, after 400 years, David's slice of the kingdom, it's conquered by Babylon, the people are exiled, they eventually return by God's mercy, but you never really again have a king in Israel, and certainly not a Davidic king to sit on the throne. And so that's led a lot of confused scholars to look at the Testaments and say, you know what, I think we got a plan A and a plan B. Like God tried to save us all through Israel and if that would have worked, we still would have the the visible nation of Israel as we see today, but that didn't work. So we're going to scrap that. We're going to go with plan B and we're going to try Jesus and he's going to found a religion, not a kingdom. And we're going to go that direction. But that's not how our Bibles read at all. You don't have the New Testament breathing a sigh of relief and saying we're done with the kingdom idea. We're done with the throne of David and the promise to Abraham. And we're gonna start with a voluntary religion where we can find existential meaning for our otherwise mundane lives. Let's try that and see if people are pleased to receive that good news. That's not how our New Testament reads at all. When the angel Gabriel visits Mary in her third trimester, he says of Jesus, the Lord God will give to Jesus the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Luke chapter 1 sounds a lot like 2 Samuel chapter 7. And when Jesus bursts onto the scene at 30 years of age, he begins to announce the kingdom of God is at hand. It's a kingdom. Repent and believe in the gospel. And at the end of his life, in his triumphal entry, Israel screams, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is good news. It's good news that David takes up that Jesus takes up the preview to Abraham and the promise to David and fulfills it in himself because it means the promises to David are our promises today and we are being assured of a dwelling place that won't be disturbed, of enemies that will be vanquished and of a kingdom that is going to be made sure forever. King Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, you say that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess what we freely hear today, that you are king of a kingdom. Would you, I plead, would you allow us this grace that we would bend the knee willingly today and not unwillingly on the final day. Be glorified in us. Let us proclaim your name, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.